0: This in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers. He'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look. You won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. You can get 20% off your Strava Craft Coffee when you use the promo code DNVR20. I have done that and I have my Strava Craft Coffee right here. It is delicious. It is wonderful. And you can drink it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in in front of a live audience because you're not going to get jitters and have a weird crash or be up all night. CBD takes care of all those kinds of things. Really helps out with a lot of health issues that I have. Should definitely check it out. Of course, I'm your host Drew Kreisman. With me is our beat writer Patrick Lyons, and we have got a really fun conversation for you today. Hopefully, two of them. For those of you here on the live, a little bit later on, we'll be diving into our KBO conversation. Really getting into it. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast, it'll just be the next episode of the podcast. But for now we want to dive more deeply into the all-time Colorado Rockies roster. As those of you who are subscribed to the DNVR.com know, uh, I have released my own 25-man roster, uh, a starting lineup, a bench, a starting rotation, and a bullpen for the all-time Colorado Rockies. But we got to get input from our guy, Patrick. We got to get input from all of you. I did run over a, a little bit of why I went with certain starters over bench players. So we dove in already to the Matt Holiday versus Charlie Blackman conversation. Very interesting. If Patrick has more on that, we can hear, but don't want to do too much of that or too low versus Trevor story. Though, honestly, those conversations, the too low versus Trevor story is, is will continue to be very, very interesting. Um, but Patrick
1: right now, right now that yeah. conversation is not interesting at all. It's Troy Tulowitzki. However, I with, know <laughs> the year with each year that, that passes, it becomes, well, Trevor story. Yeah. But right now it's it's Troy Tulowitzki. You know, of course, it's very much when when these lists are made. It's what have you done for me lately? And in fact, if we go back and look at the all time team from 1999, that that wonderful year that was at Fenway park in which all those all-time greats came out and you had Ted Williams uh, there I might even be combining two memories come to think of it, but they did have an all-time team. And, and Pete Rose was, was there. It was one of the few times he's been allowed uh, the <laughs> stadium, essentially. Right. Mark McGuire was voted on that team as, as a backup first baseman to Lou Gehrig. And, and granted, even if we take all of the PED stuff out of the conversation, I think you might, now with 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 a clear head and some time having gone by since Big Mac's career has ended, you might say, you know what, maybe maybe Mark McGuire wasn't the second greatest first baseman. I think he could still potentially be in the in the conversation, uh, but you might be more inclined to go with a guy like Jimmy Fox or or someone more underrated like a Hank Greenberg. But uh, yeah, it's very much what what have you done for me lately? But you can't knock Troy Tulowitzki and and everything that he was able to do for the organization love them or hate him, whether you were inside the locker room whether you were on his on his team the the dude put up some really impressive numbers that never has yet to beat. and and part of being an all-time member of anything some of it has to do with longevity some of it has to do with compiling more so than having that impact in a short basis and i think tulo has a little bit of everything
0: yeah, but I th- I think like you were saying earlier, longevity is where story is going to get him, especially if he can stay healthy, which was was obviously the big gigantic red mark on Tulo's resume, and the only argument. But it is funny, like you see on on Twitter um, uh, when we've put out polls, we've had a couple of times these guys have come up against each other. We did that graphic. Uh, at the beginning of the year, which was build your all time Rockies team. And I was charging people more on the top level for Tulo than for storing. People go, What are you doing? And it was an easy choice for most. It was like, When he was on the field, he was better. It's as simple as that. When he was on the field, he was better. Um, were there any other things as far as position players before we get, because there's a lot of interesting bullpen stuff to jump into. And I think that may be where we spend a, a lot of our time here on this one but as far as the position players uh particularly anybody that uh was borderline didn't make the team even
1: no i I thought your list was was very fair the the holiday blackman thing is is a discussion where it's funny how with trevor story you it's oh well look at trevor story's doing right now and well look what charlie blackman is doing right now i mean what have you done for me lately i mean everything charlie blackman it has to be one of the most underrated players, I think, uh, in Rocky's history in so many different ways. If you go back and and just look at at some of the numbers that he's been able to put up, yeah, he's towards the tail end of his career. Yeah, it took him a while to get started, right? He was just kind of a a role player for his first few years in the majors before he decided to grow a beer and become an all-star. It is that simple, folks. Uh, Go back and look at at some of Drew's articles when he didn't have a beer. They were questionable. Grew the beard, and he goes from Grand Junction to the big city of Denver. There's no coincidence in either of those two things. So uh, it worked for Kreisman. It worked for Blackman. And it, it works for anyone whose last name ends in M-A-N. Creesman got to grow the beard. <laughs> so, so the Kreisman holiday conversation, you know, I, I think was a, uh, a good one. Uh, certainly Vinny Castilla, you know, put up some big numbers at third base. Uh, but of course everything that Nolan Arenado has done as far as you know being a perennial MVP candidate for the last four or five years is uh, relatively un- unprecedented um, in-, in Rocky's organization so no I, I thought your list uh, you know pretty much nailed it uh, through and through Andres Galarraga is a guy that I think because of Todd Helton and everything he he did for the organization and <clears throat> two playoff appearances in07 and in uh, in 2009 going to the World Series in 2007, having his number retired, you go, there's no question, he is the first baseman of the franchise. But if you go back and really dig into the numbers, what Andre Scalaraga did was phenomenal. He was, he was seemingly on his last leg, washed up, quote unquote, in, in Montreal, and gets an opportunity in Colorado and goes out and just dominates, you know, un- unlike anybody. And then even after his reign, with the Rockies is able to go out and get a a nice contract with Atlanta and continues to play uh, for a few years after that. So Galarraga is a guy that very easily could get underappreciated outside of the, Hey, Blake street bombers. Remember those guys? Well, do you, do you remember everything that uh, he was for their organization? So I thought your list was, uh, was, was really good. It, It was really solid and, you know there there anyone has criticisms about you know players who jumped in for a handful of years and were dominant that's great but again when you're talking about all-time team you're you're taking the cream of the crop you're looking and saying yes i i see what you did michael Kadai, for 3 years but carlos gonzalez did it for 7 8 years you know mm-hmm. and, and there's there's numerous guys that you could probably uh, look at that had an impact in a, in a short period of time but some of it has to do with their impact over a longer period of time and, and, you know, frankly, were they like a true Rockies player and Colorado has been pretty lucky that they've had players that have been true Rockies guys, not a guy that just hung around for four or five years, uh, came in as a free agent and then left. It's pretty much been their you know, homegrown guys, so to speak, or guys that they got so early on in their career that no one really remembers who they were with for that so no kudos to you on this list no no issues uh no issues at all
0: no no all right all right. i'll gotta like that no i think that's that's sort of and bad side right, of, of the thing you were just talking about the the flip side of it is they haven't had a ton of guys so much though that there were you, you know you you love the time that brad hop and garrett atkins and ey senior and uh, some of these other guys spent here and and what they meant to the organization but there's just a very clear divide between those guys and walker helton cargo arenado even story already too low so yeah Kristen here with a fun comment she says man i miss baseball but thank you both for keeping us off the ledge with your podcast great content you guys are the best you're the best for listening. And, uh, M Hampson <laughs> wanted to remind us that Blackman technically does not end in M a N it's an M O N. He got you there. He got you, Patrick, got you.
1: <laughs> he got me, man. He got me.
0: <laughs> the, the mons don't, uh, it doesn't account
1: I tell you what, I, I like what you said, how you, how you mentioned Brad hop there, because, uh, here's a fun little little uh, piece of trivia that a lot of fans might not know. If you go back and look at all of the players who received um, even a, a single MVP vote, you may be shocked to find that Brad Hopp got an MVP vote in more seasons than Carlos Gonzalez. Carlos Gonzalez, third place in 2010. Brad Hopp, he ended up getting votes in uh, in back-to-back seasons, uh, in two, or it's not back-to-back, but in 2007 and 2009. Granted, they were – Way in the back of the pack, he finished 24th and 28th respectively, but you can't knock the fact that he did it at least for two seasons where he was noticed by the BBWAA. and Carlos Gonzalez literally outside of that third place of uh, appearance in 2010, never even sniffed a single MVP vote. So kudos for you for, for mentioning Brett Hopp there. We got a couple comments from from those of you that are that are following along on Snapchat and uh, Twitch talking about how, you know, sure. Good point, uh, Professor Nuggie, DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, he uh, he came up with the the Cubs organization, but was no doubt was poached from that organization by Dan O'Dowd and Carlos Gonzalez, who uh, was a member of the Oakland Athletics before he was with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, you might be interested to, to find that he was a member of even the Chicago White Sox when he was in the minor leagues. He was involved in a couple trades uh, as a prospect kind of going back and forth uh, in, in key deals. I think he was even one swap for Jim Tomei. Um, So, but, but bottom line is, is that when we remember these players, we don't remember where they started out in their career. you know' it's, it's the same with Reggie Jackson Is a lot of people don't remember you know that he spent a season with the, the Baltimore Orioles not, you know, just, no, he was, he was just a Yankee guy. Well, he was also with the athletics too. And, you know, did hit a hundred plus home runs with the California angels uh, once his time with the Yankees was done. So, uh, you know, these, these players go down in in history as, as Rockies. And if if you think of it in the the sense of, Hey, if DJ LeMahieu gets to the hall of fame someday, which he most certainly will not um, who does he have on his plaque? Well, the story isn't done being written, right? Supposedly he could go on and, 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 remembered as a as a Yankee but right now if his career to end Rockies is going to be on his cap same thing with Carlos Gonzalez so they might not start out on day one with the Rockies whether that means day one in the majors or maybe day one in the minors but bottom line is the the Rockies they they like their homegrown guys they like developing players early on and it's and it's hard to go out there in in free agency uh, for whatever reason it's it still hasn't quite been figured out by the Rockies organization, how they can go spend money on a free agent and have that guy produced for them. The uh, outside of the original guys that they brought in in 1993 as an expansion franchise, who has it been? Larry Walker in 1995. Michael Kadire, who was, was even an all-star uh, for that one season. Other than that, it's been a relative disappointment when you bring in those free agents. So that's the one thing that the, the Rockies don't do is, is try to poach those guys as free agents or as their veterans, as, as a big piece at the trade deadline and say what you will, that maybe they, they should have done that more and maybe they should do that more going forward. Look, we're just talking about the all-time Rockies players. There's, there's a definite consistent through line that a lot of these guys have really made their mark in the majors as a Colorado Rocky, bottom line. We're going to get Drew back and we'll continue our conversation about the all-time Rockies team. It's been 27 seasons since 1993 when they got their start for a couple years at Mile High Stadium, believe it or not. Uh, Originally, it was called Bears Stadium, the Denver Bears, a, a minor league affiliate for several different teams. It was built for baseball and then was eventually converted into a football stadium and most people remember it to be the home of the, the Denver Broncos before the new Mile High Stadium, Mile High 2 in Powerfield. Uh, but, yeah, again, out, outside of those uh, those original guys that were brought in in, in 1993, it's, it's been few and far between with those, those players coming in and, and making an immediate impact. Hi. <laughs> hey, what's up, Drew? Thanks for joining this conversation. I was talking with this other guy before he left, but you're here now, and I want to talk to you. Awesome. Out the all time Rockies bullpen.
0: Fantastic. I think while I'm doing that, I'm going to have to keep in mind our friends over at the farmhouse. I'm not going to open a Breck brew because I'm still working on my StravaCraft coffee. It's one, then the other. Those are the rules. Um, but you know, you can get $5 off your meal if you use DNVR. You order from the farmhouse over there at Breck. They'll hook you up with some delicious food, some just as delicious beer. Uh, You'll you be helping out a local business. Uh, You'll be helping out us because they're our, you know, one of our biggest partners, one of our great friends. Uh, and you just be helping out yourself because you get good beer and good food. And you can sit back and debate about the Colorado Rockies' all-time bullpen. You know what's weird to me, Patrick? This was the hardest part of this whole exercise. And I did not expect it to be. I thought I'd be scrambling for relievers. Uh, you know, I, I figured uh, there were four names I knew right away. Four good relievers the Rockies have had. And they, again, there's like a clear separation there. But then there was a cluster of another eight, nine guys. And I found myself going, wow, tough to leave out so-and-so. Uh, so, yeah, this is pretty interesting. Let's start with with the four good ones with without the controversy here. I think pretty clearly the best relievers in Rockies history: Houston Street, Brian Fuentes, Steve Reed, who needs a, a longer conversation, and Rafael Betancourt. Uh, top line thoughts on these guys?
1: Well, really, the big the breaking uh, story in that is that the all-time Rockies bullpen it exists. Yes, there
0: is <laughs> it does. One.
1: Yeah. You can actually put together a competent bullpen over the course of 27 years, at least four <laughs> guys in 27 years playing baseball in Denver. Four guys have done a pretty good job of it. Uh, so it does exist. That's
0: that's, uh, I mean. that's <laughs> a bit. <laughs> that's should... actually. The, when when you look at – and actually, I, I think when you look at the numbers of these top four guys in particular and the more time we have had to look at Coors Field and see how many guys have come in and struggled and not been able to have any kind of longevity, um, when you look at the numbers of a Steve Reed who spent five years in Colorado in the mid-90s, you know, during the steroid era – pre-humidor and was averaging an ERA plus of 149. Like that's pretty stupendous stuff.
1: It's, it's relatively untouchable, you know? And I think, I think you can't deny the fact, I mean, just look at his ERA. I mean, as you said, that's undeniable, but I think with the modern metrics that we have, we're actually able to evaluate him and see like, Oh, he was even better than he was given credit for at the time. Like, Mm His 1993 season, his his first year with the Rockies. Oh, he had a 4.48 ERA. Eh, okay job, Steve. You know, but hey, by WAR standard, he actually had a, a positive WAR of, of 0.6, which is is nothing to uh, no, nothing to to shake a stick at. Like, there's there's absolutely value in that. Same thing with '94, 3.94 ERA. All right, you were about you know league average. You are so so. No, that was good for a 1.1 WAR. Right. So he was definitely a guy that when when we go back and look and kind of you know restructure some things again as you pointed out right in the midst of the performance dancing drugs era, you know Steve Reed was was fantastic and and he's one of those guys to where you think as Corey Sullivan said last week hey bring Josh Fogg in to talk to some of these young guys about you know the the mental capacity you needed to have pitching at Coors Field and then going down to C-level, what that's like. I think Steve Reed is another one of those guys that, you know, needs to work with with the young players and the, and the major leaguers uh, even more so than in, in the past because he obviously had something that was working for him. And, and, you know, I think a lot of pitchers probably wouldn't admit, hey, I sucked at Coors Field. Hey, I sucked in Colorado. They're going to think, you know what, I, I did the best I could and the numbers might not show it out. But I think I knew what I was doing in a lot of different ways And I can impart that on some of these young guys. Are these young guys going to take to that? Are they going to buy into it? Don't know, but they're definitely going to buy into Steve Reed when it comes from him. And they go back and look at his numbers and go, wait a minute. There was no humidor. Guys could take whatever they want, inject it into their butts. And, you know, and and he did it successful for numerous years on end. Yeah, I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention to see what Coach Reed has to say.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think that Darren Holmes did a pretty good job here for a while. And and to get into the next, and we can go back to our our top four guys. We can can have, there's more to say on on street Fuentes and Betancourt, but just because he fits in this conversation as well. You know, you go back and you look at Darren Holmes' numbers, and they just do not jump out off the page at you in terms of his raw stuff. But he was simply above average for five years. In Denver again during that that kind of era, and I think that was part without having blow you away stuff. And if anyone could kind of impart on how to deal with the environment and 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 having failures but still finding your way toward consistency, which may be the most difficult thing to do as a pitcher at Coors Field, uh, I think Holmes did a pretty good job at that
1: yeah no he he definitely did and and as you said that's one of the reasons why he's around still in the organization you know to this day and um you know had a good pedigree you know stuck around in the in the majors for for 13 years um you know battled it through through a lot of different things in his career even even missed a whole season um you know in his, his mid-30s but still was able to to power back and and be a part of some some really talented teams and i mean Think about, it again, you know, we, we saw all the guys last season who went from Colorado to the New York Yankees. Wait wait a minute. The Yankees deem this guy to be valuable and think he's going to be really good? Well, the New York Yankees did that with Darren Holmes after a 1997 season where, you know, Holmes may have gone 9-2, and two, but he had a 5.34 ERA. But then the Yankees, right at the beginning of their dynasty, goes, yeah, this is a guy that we actually won in our bullpen. And he immediately goes out and has a 3.33 ERA and a a, monstrosity that is pitching in the AL East and goes ahead and and wins, you know, a World Series ring. So, again, you talk about guys that young players would listen to. It's going to be anyone that, again, won a championship, particularly won won one in New York, pitching in that environment in in the Bronx Zoo. And Darren Holmes is one of those
0: guys. Yeah, so back to the top, or I suppose the back end of of the bullpen here. Uh, I did choose Houston Street as the team's all time closer, and this kind of puts uh, the debate on the table, right? That that is at the forefront of of bullpens and modern bullpens, and how do you use them? It was almost. By default, because the other best relievers in Rockies history, Reed, who we had just talked about for a minute there, Fuentes and Rafael Betancourt, none of those guys were ever primary closers, uh, either during their times in Colorado or, or for any other organization, for that matter, where Houston Street was pretty much always a closer throughout his career playing for the Rockies and for, I think, every team in California. Um <laughs> and the Giants. He did not play for the Giants or the Dodgers, right? But Padres, A's, and Angels. Yeah, right. Um, but it is sort of a heartbreaking fact of Rocky's life that the guy you almost have to take as your all-time closer, the thing he's most famous for was blowing a couple in the most important games he ever pitched for the Rockies in an NLDS against eventual world series champions that the Rockies could have beaten. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry to get a little. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Those couple of losses against the Phillies aside, his 2009 was something to behold. And then when you do look at the numbers, I I think it's got to be streeter as they call him.
1: Yeah. No, no two ways about it probably one of the the few guys on this list that might not be known as a true Rockies player. I don't know what, what team would, would go on his plaque, you know, uh, uh, should he ever, you know, get a sniff at, at the hall of fame, you know, did have 324 career saves, which
0: he's got better numbers than you might think, man. Like. Yet
1: a, a decade or so ago that, you know, having 300 saves may have gotten in the hall now, not so much since, you know, guys can can make a career out of it. I mean, look at Fernando Rodney, look at Jose Valverde, uh, guys with not, not the best physiques in the world. But Houston Street is, you know, he's an interesting dude because I remember when he got drafted in 2004 uh, in the first way back in the end of the, of the first round by the Oakland A's. And again, you know, this is I think Moneyball hadn't yet come out, but you go, well, if the A's see some value in this guy. Obviously, there must be something there. And he was a closer at the University of Texas with the Longhorns. So he was one of those guys where, you know, was a reliever from the get-go. And usually those guys don't always, you know, translate into anything. Usually you got to be a starter who can't quite, you know, do it for multiple innings. Hey, go into the bullpen. All you got to do is throw a one-off speed pitch, and you you could possibly be lights out if you can chuck it up there into the triple digits. Well, Street was the closer you know, from, from his collegiate days uh, actually made his debut in less than a year of getting drafted. So like the dude was, you know, and then was rookie of the year. He was, yeah. He got some MVP votes in, in 2005 with the A's of course was a part of the, the Carlos Gonzalez deal along with, um, or excuse me, the Matt holiday deal uh, <laughs> came with a uh, cargo as well as Greg uh, Smith. But you know, Street is, is the guy. He, he did it for long enough. You know, Raphael Betancourt was a guy who, again, you look at his numbers, he was he was phenomenal, but did it for about like a year and a half, you know, didn't do it in any big spots. And, you know, might not might not be considered a, a, a true closer, right? Didn't have that mindset, whatever that means, right? Because I, I don't entirely, you know, buy into that. But, I mean, the dude was a closer from Jump Street, pretty much finished his career as a closer, and if you're going to have anybody do it uh, in a big game, you got to give it, you got to give him another shot at it at least. Right.
0: Yeah. I think so. Even if some of the numbers might say cause here you go. No. So here's the flip side of it, right? Brian Fuentes, the peripherals suggest to you that Brian Fuentes has a better shot of getting a swing and a miss than probably anybody you could go to in this bullpen. And anyone who watched him pitch know that two things are true. He could go through stretches where he was untouchable, unhittable, would make the best hitters in baseball look silly, stupid. I mean, it was Adam Adovino from the left side type of swings. But (laughs) he would walk the bases loaded. He would give up the bloop hit there and the thing there. And again, what he's probably most famous for during his time in Colorado was losing the closer's job halfway through the 2007 season and and finishing out that year as a setup man. Anyway, I will say you can flip that and make that a very strong argument in favor of Brian Fuentes. How many people in history would have totally shriveled away and not been able to contribute at all or become a problem in the clubhouse? And Fuentes, after losing his closer gig, became a very reliable setup man to Manny Corpus who we'll talk about a little bit later, but yeah, this is the whole, you know, do you trust the peripherals? If a stat guy is looking there and he's not looking at saves, he's not going to look at career saves because he doesn't believe that's an important statistic. Would you take Brian Fuentes? And as Will points out the heart palpitations that came with him.
1: I I, know I would not. And and I think again, if you're, you're constructing a, a bullpen, and you have a guy as capable of of striking out a left hander like like Brian Fuentes. I mean, you 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 don't use him in the ninth, right? You don't see a lot of left handed closers, you know. Particularly, I wouldn't say particularly for that reason. Um, there's just there's just more right handers available, and you're going to kind of keep a guy in a big spot. That, that's one of the reasons why you know saves are not really the the be all end all. And you make the argument that. You know, before Scott Obert signed his uh, extension with the Rockies, going into the 2020 season, you could go, well, no, no, no. Wade Davis can do a capable job in the ninth. Those big outs in the seventh and eighth, they're more important. Right. When, when, when it's a one-run game or when the best hitter in the opposing lineup is coming up to the plate, that's where you want to use your best reliever. That's where you want to use Scott Oberg or Brian Fuentes. And then – Hey, all you gotta do is get out the sixth, seventh, and eighth hitter in your lineup in the ninth inning. Okay, Manny Corpus can do that. Wade Davis can do that. So again, if that's how that's the way you want to deploy your bullpen, bottom line is right. So you're gonna probably say, All right, you know what, Brian, we're we're gonna we're gonna have you get the toughest lefty out in the order if that's if that's coming up in the sixth, seventh, or eighth. That's where we're gonna put you uh on the all-time team. And then hey, as you as you play the all-stars that come out of the cornfield in, in Iowa. Eventually, over the course of that fictitious seasons that is, is played by a bunch of ghosts, maybe Houston Street loses his job, and Fuentes is the one trying to get Joe Jackson out. But until well, that day, Houston Street's your closer. Brian Fuentes is one of your setup guys.
0: Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's how you got to go. Especially, you know, yeah, if you're playing, you know, modern-day Dodgers, they got Bellinger, Seager uh, coming up. Uh, you know, all the Peterson, those lefty bats, that's where you want Fuentes. You employ him whenever those guys are coming up. Mary makes a phenomenal point here. Does have the Rockies ever had a closer who came without heart palpitations? In my research, I have discovered precisely one. And that is why he made the list, despite it being the only season. In fact, well, actually, no, it, it is a full season. He spent half a season as the closer. so. Technically, you know, does it count? Does it not? Mentioned his name before. We're talking about Manny Corpus. Uh, I did take him as the final guy in the pen. So we're jumping around here a little bit. There are a couple other names that uh, I do want to talk about. But because that is the answer to your question, and because I took him over guys like Adam Adovino, um Jerry DePoto. Uh, there are a few other uh, pretty interesting ones. Jose Jimenez had to actually had an okay run as a Rockies closer in the early 2000s. But if you really are looking for, was there ever a time in Colorado Rockies history where the ninth inning rolled around and you could feel confident your team was going to win the game? It was the moment Manny Corpus took over as closer for the Rockies. Uh, In 2007, through the end of that year, where he continued to dominate uh, into the postseason uh, and was absolutely phenomenal in both the uh, NLDS and NLCS. Uh, The only Rockies closer, obviously, to be able to claim to have even pitched in the NLCS. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, That's why I took him, obviously, just there are a lot of guys who are going to have him beat in terms of longevity, and it's also the case that it was like three years later and Manny Corpus was out of baseball. Uh, It's it's as much a lightning in a bottle situation as I think you're going to find. But as I wrote in the piece, I think maybe more than any other player in the history of the organization, Manny Corpus catching fire when he did meant more like than any like that was the single most individual catch fire performance that helped this team out it was it was unreal what do you put up like a 2.08 era recording 19 saves something like that it was insane
1: so that as, as you said yeah 19 saves that's not you know hey came in at the right time and um you know we think about you know march madness r.i.p um, about, about teams, you know, getting hot in their in their conference tournament and getting in. He he didn't get hot in the final few weeks of the season, or even in the month of September. You know, he he did it for the, the final few months. And so, you know, there there is a lot of value in that. That's one of the reasons why you know he he didn't lose that role at any point when, when you know other guys you know seem to be the hot hand. And hey, they're more of a veteran guy. If it work, don't mess with it. If it, if it works don't don't bother at all so you don't question a a young guy like like corpus kind of almost coming out of nowhere to do it but you know he he was doing it before in a setup role you know he he, again outside of those 19 saves you know he he threw 78 innings right so again he he was doing it he just wasn't doing it in the ninth and then when you show you can do it in the ninth you go hey now we've got an eight inning game and it changes everybody's mindset and it's it's You just have a totally different outlook on the game, even though, again, if if Corpus becomes your best pitcher, it's better to maybe throw him in there in the sixth, seventh, or eighth. But when you've got the ninth locked up, it just makes everybody else that much stronger. I mean, look at those bullpens that the Yankees had for a decade plus because you knew the ninth and maybe even an out or two in the eighth was a done deal. Now you got guys going, look, all i got to do is get an out or two. And you're gonna you're gonna get an out or two. Great. How about you over there? Excellent. We got this as a team because the game is just that much shorter. And Manny Corpus did it in 2007, and that that's got a lot of cachet. He did it for a couple years after that too, and and that's one reason for his inclusion on the list. Not just in the big spot, but he did it you know for a few years after that. Not necessarily as the closer, but he did it as a reliever.
0: He was so nails that year. He was so – it was it was unreal. And yeah and I remember him as a closer – or, I mean, as a, a setup guy earlier in the year dominating too. And there was just no question when Fuentes blew like four in a row, uh, mostly from whip issues, walking guys and letting them get on and then just that blue pit and you lose the game. Um, and, and Corpus was coming out and striking out two dudes in inning and getting a broken bat on that third out. And it was like uh, – it was unbelievable and there, there were like, remember the Phillies trying to make up that he was doctoring the ball because he poured water on himself like people his cutter was was so unbelievable that you have to think stuff like that that year and um yeah, man, it was something else. if you, if you want to be also as advanced in in terms of your bullpen thinking here as Patrick is pointing out that you don't just have to take the absolute best guy to be your closer. Get in some classes at MSU Denver Online. Uh, Time and again, it has been proven that the best protection against economic downturns is education that allows you to adapt into varying careers. If you've got some time on your hands right now, as most of us do, you can probably get in some online classes at MSU Denver Online. It's going to help you. Whether you're just starting out your education and you want to transfer it over, you want a complete education that you've started somewhere else, or you just want some like vocational skill based things. You've already got your degree, but you want to learn a new skill. There are so many different ways you can use this to your advantage. And MSU Denver Online is just high quality education that you can get super easy and at a great cost. So check them out at msu MSUDenveronline.edu. Uh, Mary also pointing out, uh, there's a, another guy who had a, a great individual season, but not as a closer was Chris Russon, One of the calmest looking Rocky pitchers I've ever seen. Looks so relaxed, especially in 2017. Wasn't sure he had a pulse. Yeah. That, and that's, what's funny. You know, there's another one of those guys. What I w- might say Uh, A Chris Russen who lasted for four or five years who ended up making my list for that reason. Again, I could have gone with guys with better peripherals, who maybe dominated a little bit more, maybe had important jobs. But I figure every bullpen's got to have a workhorse. Every bullpen's got to have that guy who doesn't care about being a setup man or a closer or having the glory or doing whatever. And who you just feel like when he comes in in the seventh with a two or three run lead or the sixth, you're going to be fine. And that was Matt Belial. I went Matt Belial. This may have been the biggest heart overhead pick of any of them, if I was being more honest. Again, I think uh, looking back at Jerry DePoto's numbers, if you're going pre Humidor and you're like, hey, he was, you know, he hung in there. Uh, Belial was never dominant. But I think, again, back to that more personal, like, did, did you start having heart palpitations when this guy came into the game? No, even if he happened to blow it, you almost felt like, hey, well, I'll get him next time.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, he ended up uh um, accumulating five point six war, which for Rocky's reliever, again, that that's just talking about what he did in Colorado. Like that's that's got a lot of value. Same thing for DePoto, five point eight. Again, that's kinda back in the in the heyday when you know when, when the team wasn't as good in, in the late Ninety still had the Blake Street Bombers. Uh, speaking, of course, about Depoto, but you know he was he was a guy that was, was able to you know do a lot of things when the games didn't seem to, to matter as much, right? We when we think back to the all time games, um, it, it, it's almost it, it's almost like with the two thousand and seven season, we remember all of those details so vividly because we're reminded of it so frequently. And we talk about it, and we talk about it in the 0-9 team, and the same thing will, will happen with the 2017 2018. It's one of the reasons why maybe Adam Ottavino maybe didn't make the list because it's too fresh, but I think over time he he's going to be a guy that you're going to go, yeah, he probably should should be on this list uh, with his 9.2 career WAR with the Rockies. You know had you know a real bad season there uh, at one point along the way you know missed some time with arm injury but you know for for what he did especially to during those seasons in which you know from from 14 15 16 every year they had an increase in wins and then finally they broke through in 17 and 18 and Adam outavino was a big part of that you know, didn't, didn't get to do it as a closer. But again, you see that his value was coming in earlier in the game. And you go, oh, man, there's a big spot. Who do you want coming out of that bullpen? Greg Holland? Wade Davis? No, you want Adam Adovino, that wipe-out slider, and he's going to be the guy that gets that big out. So, um, you know, it, it it's fun to construct, a, you know, a team like this. And, and you know, even if you say – Regardless of how you how you discuss it, it's like outfield construction. Like who's going to play center versus who's, who's going to play right. Might not make the biggest deal in the world, but but the bottom line is, you know, the, the guys that that are on this as as the relievers, they got it done in Colorado, which seems strange and might seem foreign to anyone who's not looking close enough. What? They indeed got it done in Lodo.
0: A guy, Prof Nuggy coming in saying, Oberg going to be number one on the list when it's all said and done. He absolutely could be the, you know, he's not, we know relievers sometimes have their best years in their thirties anyway, in their early thirties, particularly. And and so he's just getting to that stage. And so, you know, you hope, cause he's, it feels like he's just started and, and, but he's not a young guy, uh, in, in athlete terms. <laughs> I think he's a young guy in regular people terms, hopefully. Um, But yeah, I could absolutely, I mean, the resume he's got there to go back to your point on Otto, I think, you know, the toughest thing there is that the worst career or worst season of his career did come in 17 when the Rockies, you know, got, were battling for that wild card spot. He didn't even make the postseason team. And then he did end up giving up uh, a run in that wild card game and in, uh, didn't pitch particularly well in the NLDS in 2018, despite his phenomenal year, but. Yeah. Otto in terms of Ross stuff, you know, and you mentioned two other names in there that both way Davis and Greg Holland need to be given consideration. Honestly, both those guys in terms of individual seasons and collecting saves, it's just one year now Davis has the fact that he has another God awful year on his resume. So that washed him out. And then Holland was on a different team and he sort of fell apart at the end of the year. And I think that does leave the door open for Oberg to be this sort of this generation's best reliever, but. He's got to yeah. keep it up.
1: Yeah. A few other guys that got it done that either you might not remember because it was so long ago or it may have been for shorter periods of time uh, would have been Kurt Lescanick, also known as Curtis Lescanick. Yeah. Actually, the fourth, uh, excuse me, fifth highest war uh, amongst relievers uh, in Rockies history, tied with Bruce Ruffin for a 6.8 uh, war by the baseball reference. Rex Brothers. Also, uh, 5.2, career war, You did a nice job. Also ended up with the Yankees organization last year, albeit their AAA affiliate, the Scranton-Wilkes-Bear Rail Riders. Sure. Rolls right off the tongue, (laughs) Scranton-Wilkes-Bear Rail Riders. Boom. (laughs) Um, And then finally, Dave Varis, who, again, I I think he might have only been around for about three seasons, uh, but was still worth 4.7, career war, according to baseball reference, with the Colorado Rockies
0: no love for Kevin Ritz or David need Uh, no, no. Yeah. All of those guys, sexy rexing for a minute there was dominant. And we thought, Oh man, he's going to be a thing. And then uh, again, that's one of those guys where the crash was just so hard. You forget about the good times a little bit. Um, Curtis Laskanek. I should not have forgotten about it all. I find it strange that his baseball reference page does call him Kurt I didn't, I've never seen that before. I always thought it was Curtis Laskanik. That just Same. flows. It's just, um, I don't know what I did there. That's a swing and a miss on my part. Um, but you mentioned one other name in all of these that we haven't really talked about that we should. And that's Bruce Ruffin, who did make my list. Uh, big lefty who had maybe the single best season in Rockies history as a part of the single best bullpen in Rockies history in 1995, Bruce Ruffin put up an ERA plus of big swallow 255. Uh, And uh, he also picked up a few saves that year too. I found it interesting. It seemed that he and Steve Reed, I'd have to go back and and relook at it. And we'd have to grab our guy, Tracy Ringlesby and try to remind us exactly what was going on in the closers role that year. If it was, platooned out a bit by design, Ruffin being a a big lefty, kind of what we were talking about. If you've got Steve Reed and Bruce Ruffin uh, in your bullpen, it it looks like they were comfortable with either guy closing out, both dominated. And that's a huge reason why the 1995 Rockies made the postseason.
1: Yeah, I was doing some research yesterday for uh, a possible article down the line about Again, just just overall history. See if there's any trends for when they've been good, when they haven't been good, which unfortunately has been been more years than not. But when looking at um, the Pythag win-loss percentage, so uh, basically uh, the long and short of it is based upon how many runs are scored and how many runs are given up by a pitching staff. You can project how many wins and losses a team should have. Now it's Hard to predict that, but you can go back and look and say, okay, hey, um, you know, this this team uh, should should have won ninety games. They only won eighty eight. So what happened there, right? Uh, and it could have been a couple, you know, moves by the manager and whatnot. And, and uh, I noticed some trends that that Don Baylor, you know, he got a lot more out of his teams than he probably should have. And so you you talk about that thing of, well, did Ruffin and Reed? Did they kind of share closers' roles? That closer role. And most most likely they did. I, I don't know that for certain, but um, I, I mean, just see. based on the
0: numbers, you can like, yeah, they both got a yeah. bunch of saves, like
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rocket
0: science here. But, you know.
1: it, well, it could be that you know one guy lost it and another guy came in and exactly. it was back and forth. But it's more likely that you know Don Baylor is like, look, this, these are the outs that need you know that I need to get earlier in the game in the eighth inning. I need the lefties. Hey, Ruffin's going to go in, so Reed, you're going to get the save. The next night, it's flipped. Reed, you're going in the eighth. Ruffin, you're going to get the save. Done deal. And and it doesn't matter. So he's using his matchups and he's winning games. Um, maybe not specifically winning games he should win, but over the course of the season, you're going to win some games that, according to the Pythagorean theorem, says you you shouldn't have won. So I think, you know, it's, that's one of the reasons why I think you know Don Baylor at some point here in the future, you know, we we should see his number. Uh, retired in in the Rockies organization for you know what he was able to do get the team uh, into their first postseason and really give a lot of stability to the organization in those those early days and there's you know there's a lot of value to that no two ways about it
0: some ahead of his time thinking to be sure um, and, and it's interesting you you were talking about noticing the similarities and I do think and I've pointed this out before that. And this maybe is probably true of every team in baseball. That in the rock in the years where the Rockies have been good, made the postseason in particular, they tend to outperform their Pythag. But it also tends to be particularly through good pitching and good bullpens. If you look at the years now, there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg here. I did choose the relievers; they got extra credit for being good. Either into the postseason or as a as helping the Rockies get into the postseason, as opposed to Gabe White, who was unhittable in 2000 and the Rockies won 14 games. So who cares? Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. But for you look at 95, you look at 07 and 09, 2017, 2018, you see pretty good bullpens, and the the years they haven't. You know, again, I would imagine that would be common across baseball but I think the the Steve Reed Bruce Ruffin combo may be the ideal scenario if the Rockies could ever again have and I, I think that's what they were hoping especially like early in 2017 you looked there you had Greg Holland was on fire and Jake McGee was pitching really well remember at Coors Field early in the year where the Rockies had a couple of wins in a row they were going to try to sweep the Dodgers but Holland wasn't available Maybe even another guy wasn't available. Jake McGee came out, struck out the side, got the big close. He was good in 17. You're like righty lefty. You can have either of them go late. That's the ideal. It just never quite seems to hold up like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the one trend, you know, that, that jumps out immediately is, like, Oh, Hey, when the Rockies have had good pitching surprise, surprise, you know, they, they've had their best record, uh, um, you know, in, in their, in their history. So, other than that, you know, uh, uh, I haven't found the solution yet. Maybe when I do, um, you, you could possibly see me as an assistant general manager someday. There you, uh, go. you know, but, but until then, you know, nothing uh, jumps off the, the page with that. And, and I think that's ultimately what, you know, Colorado needs to do. Todd Helton said it for so many years. Hey, if you can go out and get a really good bullpen, that's going to solve all the problems. And Jeff Breidich went out and spent a lot of money on three guys to do that and it worked for a year. It didn't work for the second year. And we don't know how it could possibly work for this third year. So it's um, false positive, false negative, not sure, inconclusive. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's completely taken off the table that Colorado could, could possibly do that again at some point. I think they're done doing that in the starting pitching market after what they, you know, had to go out and spend on, on bill Swift, uh, Daryl Kyle and of course Denny Nagel and Mike Hampton, uh, but for for relievers, you know, you you could catch that. Uh, I don't want to say lightning in a bottle because Wade Davis was just a known commodity, you know, before he before he came to Colorado, before the wheels fell off last season. So, you know that that you might just have to overpay for that until you can get the right matchup, like the Rockies were able to get with Steve Reed and Bruce Ruffin, as you pointed out.
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the ways if you want to get started on solving this problem, you grab your Strava Craft coffee because CBD is known to help you decide who to use in your bullpen. No, maybe for back pains and for anxiety and for not having coffee jitters and all of those other things. Will it help you decide who to use in your bullpen? We'll let you be the decider on that. Um, our guy, Will, points out uh, he only appeared in 110 games, but check out Taylor Buckholtz relievers putting up a 3.0 war and an ERA plus of 139 in that time. I want to do a um, real quick sidebar. Let's not forget Taylor buckles. Cause that's a, a fun little story. Um, but uh, I've been, we've been using ERA plus throughout this conversation and longtime listeners of the podcast have heard me talk at times about how these statistics can be a little bit wonky when it comes to the Colorado Rockies, but these types of conversations are, are actually this is where numbers like this are really 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 helpful because pointing out a guy's ERA in two thousand nine or seven for Manny Corpus not in the steroid era you know all kinds of different things going on there's a humidor in Colorado now and comparing that directly to Steve Reed or Bruce Ruffin in nineteen ninety five isn't fair or really in any way helpful to anybody while ERA plus or WRC plus or OPS plus can be wonky with how it relates Rockies to other players in baseball, because I, I think it's over adjusting for Coors field in, in both ways. Uh, when you're comparing a Rocky to a Rocky, this is, it's perfect because if, if they're both four short, then they're both four short, or if they're both six points short, then they're both six points short. It, it's, and it doesn't work exactly that way, particularly with hitters. I will say, I, I, we've talked about this before. I think some hitters and Corey Sullivan pointed this out. Uh, they're going to be helped by Coors Field and some guys, they're just not going to care for pitchers. Uh, I think it's going to be a little closer to even. So I do think that ERA plus is a really great way to kind of adjust for the era you're in uh, the teams you're pitching against uh, all those kinds of
1: yeah, it's just a like you said, it gives context to what a guy did in what year. And again, Rockies haven't been around uh, for a very long time in the grand scheme of things, but enough, you know, significant things have you know a played a major factor and a major role in pitcher statistics as well as hitter statistics. You know, between the steroid era, between you know pre-Humidor and post-Humidor, there's enough of that. To go around that, it can you know cast some shadows on on some of those guys you know before 2002 uh, in, in the heyday of PEDs and prehumidor. So you're right; it it gives context to all these things, and you know it's exciting to think about what can happen in the future because you know in, in 10, 20 years, new statistics will come out. We, we we may be able to you know categorize some more stuff with with Statcast, and we might find out that. Like Adam Ottavino was the single greatest reliever, hands down, had 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 three times more value than any other reliever with the Rockies. I I don't. I'm just tossing a name out there, right. but it's just this idea that we 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 might not know exactly what we're seeing. We don't know how to use the numbers and contextualize them entirely. You know, there there's a guy there. There's a few guys out there that. War has definitely seemed to have helped out in the past and getting in the Hall of Fame. There's a guy that I never once heard when I was younger. Uh, his name is Bobby Gritsch. He was a second baseman for the Orioles and Angels. And with the, you know, uh, instituting wins above replacement. He's a guy you go back and look and you say, Oh my gosh, he's one of the top 10 second basemen of all time. And he got a, he made a couple all-star appearances uh, from what I remember. So, you know, he was garnered as, as, uh, you know, one of the top guys, but shoot, when you, when you, when you contextualize it in that way, he was really underappreciated during his time. Maybe it was because of, of where he played. Maybe it was being overshadowed by other players. And, you know, it, it, and like you said, Drew, you know, when when you can can contextualize and say, hey, wait a minute, if we're all just talking about Rockies pitchers here, now we don't have to say, well, when you pitch at Coors Field, here's what happens. No, no. What did you do? Look, you both did the exact same thing. You're in the same place at the relative same amount of time. You can do that for hitters. You can do that for pitchers. And you can look and go, shoot, you know what? I think Charlie Blackman is, has had a better career with the Rockies than Matt Holliday. Even though Holiday was a guy that maybe garnered some more MVP votes and was a guy that, when he was traded, brought in another superstar. I'm Obviously, okay. it's Matt Holiday, right? Oh, went to the World Series, scored the winning run in one of the biggest games ever. It was Matt Holiday. You know, mm-hmm. knock, knock, knock. It's context at your door saying, no, it's
0: it, it actually Charlie Blackman, I think. It's probably Charlie Blackman. I think the guy who. And I probably, in fact, I almost certainly will do this in article format as well. But the guy who we've talked about today, who needs some kind of post-career renaissance, re-understanding of of everything that he did is Steve Reed. And we talked about him a little. He was never an all-star in his career, um, which when you look at it and you look what he was able to do, he's like, this guy was so underrated. Uh, that, that he was able to provide that amount of consistency, and then still jump up to occasional dominance, and to not collapse off of that, uh, Steve Reed may be one of the most underrated guys in the history of the organization.
1: And if you think about when he played, it was before all-star teams started taking and you know selecting you know utility players or selecting setup men. Right there was there was ultimately like no statistic. Uh, I think holds was was around at that point, but no one cared about holds all that much. And I think until, you know, you, you played a fantasy baseball league in which, hey, there's only so many closers around, oh, you can get some points for holds. Then guys that pitch in the seventh and eighth inning, And, and when, again, that we talked about it ad nauseum in this uh, discussion about the all-time greatest relievers, sometimes you don't want your best reliever in the ninth. You want to use them earlier in the game to get those big outs. And I think we realize that now as fans, and we can appreciate those guys that were, were dominant and were flashy. And maybe they're just not the closer yet. Those guys make all-star teams right now. Look up Steve, look up the name Steve Delabar. Have you ever heard of him? No, he's an all-star for the Toronto Blue Jays. Steve Delabar, okay. Steve Reed should have been a multi-time all-star, right? But again, played at a time in which those guys, you know, didn't have the same appreciation, weren't given twenty to thirty million dollar contracts like guys are today, like your McGees, your Shaw's, your Ottavino, right? Right. That, that just didn't happen. So again, you know, Steve Reed pitches in a different era. He's appreciated a lot more. And somebody goes, shoot, let's pay this guy. You know, I'm not going to pay him closer money. We're going to pay him just short of that. So he's still going to get, you know, the money that Brian uh, Shaw got. But we're going to make him into the closer. And now you know who he is because he's closing games out for the San Francisco Giants. Um, that, that, that happens if Steve Reed is playing in, in 2019. He happened to play in the 90s. So he's 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 very much forgotten about. The forgotten man. Steve Reed,
0: let me let me give a real quick preview and potentially spoil the article I'm going to write because I'm just looking at the page and I'm getting mad. I'm going to do this real fast, but okay. first of all, Steve Reed doesn't make his major league debut until the age of 27. So again, sort of what we were talking about, it's very very Scott Obergy thing to do. Mm. Um, he pitches 15.2 innings that year, and again, ERA plus. 149. Again, if you're over 100 is league average, so that suggests he was about 49% better than league average. I'm just going to take you year by year on the ERA+. plus. So the next year is 1993. He's 28, 107. The next year, a 127. The next year, 251. That was 95, the same year that Bruce Ruffin had the 255 for the Rockies. Again, best bullpen in, in franchise history. 96, a 132. 129 the next year, 137 the next year. Uh, that's when he got traded. Then he's with the Giants. He, get, he puts up a 274 with the Giants over 54 innings of an ERA+. plus. His one down year came in 1998 for Cleveland. He put up an ERA plus of 72. The only time until the very end here we're going to get where he's going to be under 100. Next year, so he's 34 years old now, 1999 for Cleveland and ERA plus. 118 the following year 114 following year 127 the following year 125 then a 129 a 193 a 191 He's pitching for the Mets no no the Padres there now he's pitching for the Mets he puts up a 195 At age 37 in 2003, he returns to the Colorado Rockies at age 38. He pitches 63.1 innings and puts up an ERA plus of 153, a raw ERA of 327 at 38 years old in his second stint just before the implementation of the humidor in Colorado. At age 39, he pitches again 66 innings for your Colorado Rockies for a 368 ERA and ERA plus of 134. The final year of his career at age 40 for Baltimore, he pitched 32 innings. He got knocked around a bit 661 ERA, a 66 ERA plus. Really, the only year of his career when you could say he was bad and he was 40.
1: So, do you want them to retire his number thirty nine? Is that what you're saying?
0: I'm. I've. Be, I'm. Okay. I am now the mo- Like I am the most. You know, no, no zealot. Like a, a convert to the Church of Steve Reed. I am. Uh, yeah, actually, that's incredible Are to you? make your debut in 1992 at age 27, have a career that runs through age 40 at uh, in 2005, and essentially never be better than well above average pitched. 870.2 innings of Major League Baseball, a 3.63 career ERA, a career ERA plus of 132.
1: You So you, you've converted to readism. You're a readist.
0: I'm a readist.
1: You'll find this interesting too that, you know, again, talking about being underappreciated, the dude never made more than $1.4 million in a season. <laughs> we're talking about the 90s, but really? Five seasons where he made a million dollars or more.
0: Brian Shaw should should give Steve Reed half his contract. I said it.
1: (laughs) And Reed was even traded for several notable players in in packages for deals. He was traded for Jose Mesa, Colorado Rocky. He was traded for John Rocker, not a Colorado Rocky. (laughs) And uh, he was even traded um, from the, the, the Padres to the Mets for a young minor leaguer who later became pretty good by the name of Jason Bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then the Mets, when he became a free agent, they went and they spent a lot of money to get Jason Bay back into their fold after that mistake. So so, so there are some people out there, I guess, that appreciated Steve Reed, but they also knew they could get him for cheap and they didn't have to pay him very much because everybody else was sleeping on him too.
0: Like you said, before we knew, before we really knew what a guy like that was worth, and now we totally overpay guys who we think are worth stuff like that (laughs) how far we've come uh well i think that is as good a place as any to wrap up this conversation for now those of you joining us on the live we're gonna wrap this up real quick but we're gonna be back in just a few minutes with our conversation about the kbo so if you're trying to figure out uh how to watch all of that stuff we're gonna have a lot of fun with that it's going to be good. If you've got more thoughts on the all-time Colorado Rockies team, we can pick this conversation up uh, again another time. Hit us up on Twitter. You know where to find us through email, all that stuff. Leave a comment on the site. Subscribe to the DNVR.com. Get yourself some merchandise. And otherwise, just generally continue to be absolutely awesome. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Kreisman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.